Hi, everyone. Feminist Hot Dog here. Just popping in to say thank you so much for listening. The response to the podcast has been awesome, and we really want to keep it going and keep it growing. So if you dig the show and you want to support Feminist Hot Dog, please do two things. Download the episodes and leave us a quick review telling us what you like about it. That's going to help us show up in the rankings, which is super helpful for getting more listeners. So we've had a lot of fun and we are looking forward to some inspiring guests in 2019 and even looking at possibly doing some merch. So stay tuned, keep listening, give us a download, give us a rating, and most importantly, love yourself and love your buns. Here's the show. Please don't go, I need you so I... If you start to like seize up or get a crick in your <laughs> neck or something, you can move. Fair enough. Uh, we want this to be a, a comfortable uh, feminist experience for all of our guests, and for, and not to not to be oppressed by the rigidity of having to speak into these um, kind of phallic microphones. I, I know. I thought about it before, but technology is so oppressive. I really need to get some like <laughs> vagina esque microphones. Well. <laughs> Goal, 2019 goals. Anyone out there know of a vagina mic? I will buy it. Uh, this is Feminist Hot Dog, the news, humor, and cultural survival podcast by, for, and about women. We uplift everyday feminists and feminism and celebrate women as an act of resistance. And I'm so happy to have Madison Clark here as a guest. And she is in town from beautiful, sunny Southern California, Yay. where she is attending. You're going to have to fill in the blank for me. <laughs> which university you're attending? Claremont Graduate University. That's okay. Yes. That's right. I, I knew I had Claremont in my mind, but I couldn't remember exactly what it was. So, um, so thanks for being here, Madison. My you pleasure. are an academic. And a college instructor. Mm, hard to believe, but yes. <laughs> I, which it's been very fun to sort of track your evolution in that in that way um, over social media, and I want to hear a lot more about that um, sure. as we talk. Um, and also a lover of pop culture, all things Disney and yes. Michael Jackson in Praise particular. Um, and I appreciate that you always remind me of the major, like, Michael milestones throughout <laughs> the year. So I can give a little extra and a little extra love out to the universe for MJ. And you're also an activist. I, yes, I, I like to think of myself as such. Um, it's it's I've weird. Seen, I've seen you in action. I think you qualify. <laughs> it's weird to hear, like, a description of myself um, in that kind of way, because I feel like I'm I'm reading something from someone like famous and well loved, and I'm like, oh, oh, it's me. Oh, oh we're oh, talking about you. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's that. This is what. This is how the world sees you. Oh. Just so you know. Thank you. You're rad. <laughs> um, so I would love to hear a little bit about your work. I know you're working on your thesis, or maybe you've already finished it. I thought I did. Oh. <laughs> funny how that. Funny how that happens sometimes. Right. I thought I was done with that. No. Oh. No. Okay, no. I'm cool. currently on my fourth or fifth round trying to get I that completed. Fifth time's a charm. I'm, I'm going to say that, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to speak it into existence. Um, but yes, I've, I've finished all my coursework uh, for my dual masters. So as of December of 2018, I completed my masters in applied women's studies. And um, I completed my coursework for my history degree. So as of this May, I hope to have that history MA attached to my um, CV as well. Oh, fantastic. So yes. I know... 
The last time we hung out, you gave me a little preview of mm -hmm. what the topic of your master's thesis is. Do, do you mind breaking that sure. down? Sure. So I am focusing on how patriarchy was enhanced in the black community um, during Reconstruction, mm -hmm. primarily through agencies like the Freedmen's Bureau and also through institutions like the Black Protestant Church. Um, I'm looking at it how, well, I'm, I'm viewing it as Eurocentric values and Eurocentric ideologies being kind of enforced on these recently um, freed people and how they are dictating that's the standard of acceptability mm. um, and how, how these sorts of like ideas and culturals thrive even today. And I, I really got interested in seeing where those roots came from. And so that's why I went back to Reconstruction just after the Civil War ends. Um, even though the, um, the faith aspect was um, present even during slavery, um, I just wanted to see how it became even um, stronger after um, emancipation. And because it still plays such a strong role in the community today, um, particularly in the South. So um, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm polishing up right now. As that is fascinating. Thank you. It's so cool. <laughs> um, I wish I had like a really smart question to ask you about that, but I, it's a little out of my depth, but I am, I want to read it. It sounds so interesting. I feel All like questions I are smart questions, but I appreciate Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I would also really love to hear a little bit about um, just how the work that you've done in this area, you know, specifically around patriarchy and that time period and, and within the black community, how, do you think it's influenced you as a feminist and as a feminist intellectual thinker? It's definitely, um, what's I'm looking for? It's definitely um, explained certain attitudes and conversations I've been having the past mm -hmm. few years um, and explains a lot of things in my childhood and adolescence that became a little more clear. Um, I came from a very religious household growing up. Um, and I was in, I don't want to say indoctrinated, but I was very, very consumed in, in my faith and religion. Um, and I was too young or too engrossed in it to see like the reality surrounding it. And now doing my research, I see how that has really shaped a lot of my uh, ideas about life, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to gender roles. Um, and being out of the South, now located in California, um, since I'm out of my element and my comfort zone, um, it helps me to really see the picture clearer. Um, so I've, I've been, I always get excited when I see new documentation or new resources in my, in my research to kind of confirm um, what I want my explanations to be, but I do have to understand as a historian that I can't, I can't always uh, go down that kind of path. I can't find what I want. I have to find what I do find. What's there. What's there, right. And then make the sense out of it that way. So that's been a, a fun challenge for me. That's, that's the bitch of research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So. Um, cool. Well, that leads me actually to another question that I had for you, which okay. is... Um, I'm just curious about, because you were born and raised in Alabama mm -hmm. and went to college here mm -hmm. and then moved to Southern California. Mm -hmm. Do you, can you talk a little bit about what that transition was like for Ooh. you? <laughs> you know how you don't realize, um, it, it's, let me start over. Um, 
in high school, my teacher gave me this illustration called Allegory of the Cave, which you've probably heard before as well. Um, essentially how there are these people who are in a cave and it's really dim in there. They have like a small little fire that's their light. Um, and someone leaves the cave and goes out into the sunny world and they see everything. And at first everything, they're kind of blinded by the light because it's so sharp and they actually see leaves on a tree and they see, you know, ducks or whatever. And they see life and it's bright and it's full. And they go back into the cave and they see how it's really dim there. And they're trying to tell their friends, like, it's so dark in here, you have to come out into the light. And the friends are like, you're crazy. That's kind of been my experience. <laughs> not to say that Alabama is in a dark age, of course not, but I didn't realize how much I had been blinded to until I left Alabama mm -hmm. and came back. So that's, it's, it's, especially when it comes to agency um, as a person, um, which is um, something I didn't know was so unique um, here at least in the communities and, and the people that I surrounded myself here before I left, um, it seemed like there were a lot of restrictions in life just because that's the way it is. Um, in California, it's like, or at least in the part of California I'm in and the people I've surrounded myself with, it's, there's a the question of why is that restriction, why, why is that a, even a mindset for you? You know, mm. Why shouldn't you be able to do this? Why can't you do this? You are beautiful, you are worthy of love. You know, all these sorts of, um, aspects are, are coming to the forefront of my head now and I'm just I feel so like oh wow this is really an eye-opener for me is there anything else that you wanted to say about your journey in academia because I know like you're a woman of letters you're yeah. get your um <laughs> teaching college classes now you're on track to get a move into a PhD program is that right yes I'm actually in the waiting zone now so hopefully by oh. March I'll know if I've gotten accepted into either Indiana or UCLA um, but as far as my journey in academia, it's been in, in incredible. Um, like I said, growing up, I was in a very religious household in life that discouraged education. Um, they said, you, go, you get your high school education, that's enough. You know, you're not supposed to go to college, you're not supposed to attend any higher education. So even after high school, I took a, a four-year break um, just trying to figure out what to do with my life. <laughs> and then finally my mentor came and talked some sense into me to get me enrolled into um, Auburn University of Montgomery. And when I went there, honestly, I thought it would only last a year. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do anything past a year. And at the end of my first year, I was like, holy cow, like, <laughs> I just finished my first year of college. Maybe I can even go a little further. Before I knew it, I was walking with my BA, Literally a month later, <laughs> I was in Southern California. So yeah, yeah it's, it's been enriching and unbelievable. Very cool. Well, I'm um, honored that I have gotten to both sort of talk to you along the way and, and watch your journey on social media. We were talking a little bit earlier about your Facebook and how it's kind of like <laughs> almost like a public diary or a personal blog for you right. and I, I I love it. It's it's very cool to, <laughs> Thank you. to be able to kind of keep track of, of your thoughts and your experiences because I know it hasn't all been good. There have definitely been like yeah. moments when I feel like your identity has been reflected to you in ways that were not supportive yeah. um, and also just, you know, there are just people that were not necessarily going to, that you weren't going to jive with in, in those yeah. settings. Um, but overall, it's it just it's been very um, it's been really cool to to be kind of a stalkerish <laughs> part of I don't know. <laughs> 
I don't know if that's I, the right way to say it. I'm honored either way, so thank you. Okay, good. <laughs> You're also someone who has been very open about your... Um, the way that you take care of your mental health mm -hmm. and the way that that has affected your opportunities and your journeys in life, and um, yeah. which I really appreciate. I think that it we would all be better off if we were more honest and open about what each of us is going through instead right. of only posting, like, I'm so happy, oh my God, look what I made for dinner, look yeah. how cute my kids are. Like, you know, <laughs> right. like just get a little bit more real with one another. So I just didn't know if you, had, if you wanted to comment on that at all. Sure, yeah. Um, I was diagnosed with what was at the time called manic depression mm -hmm. um, when I was 12. No, I'm sorry. I was 11. <laughs> I remember because it happened on September 11, 2001. Oh it was like gosh. on that day, I had a doctor's appointment, and as the towers are falling, the doctor is telling me that I have manic depression. Like your life is really about to change <laughs> right. on many levels. Right, which was very... Years later, I, I, I found some symbolism in that because at that day, America changed as far as its security goes and this idea, this, this real threat that has now been pushed upon America. Um, and in a way, for me, my security was like altered and changed because it's like now you have this diagnosis. Now you are part of this statistic. Now you are this, this. So I... I my family was not supportive, um, which is very common in the African-American community that mental health isn't a thing. It's always labeled as a white people's problem mm. um, because white people have the, the luxury to have that kind of illness. Right. You know, Black people, we don't have time for that. If our ancestors survived the Middle Passage and they survived enslavement, then why are you crying? You know, So that was really heavy on me as a kid. And then, um, so growing up, you know, I, I had a lot of, Lot, lot, lot of downs, sometimes ups, but a lot of downs. And um, I was on medication, I was off of it, going in and out of hospitals, multiple suicide attempts. Um, and I think around the third or fourth time I attempted suicide, I realized, like, okay, I have, I, I, I really suck at this whole suicide <laughs> thing, so maybe I'm here for, for a reason. <laughs> maybe, maybe a different plan. Right. And, um, Eventually, I, I started to just be honest with myself and be like, this isn't a myth, this isn't a thing that's you know, gonna go away. Um, I have to accept it and learn how to include it in my life um, and how to live with it. And I figured that the more secretive and shameful I am about it, the worse it's gonna be. So why not be honest about it? Why not say yes? I've been diagnosed with X, Y, Z, and yes, I have these moments, and you know what, I'm still here, mm -hmm. because I know a lot of people don't get to have those days. Well, I want to personally thank you. Oh, thank you. And <laughs> also, just as, since I started this podcast and have been you know, a little more active in terms of social media um, and media in general related to women and um, listening to a lot more podcasts created by women, I just... My um, appreciation for that honesty has has really, really grown. I just think one of the things I'm trying to communicate and foster with, with this show is the value of connection. Mm -hmm. And that if women can connect with one another and learn from one another and overcome some of these internalized, just this internalized bullshit that mm -hmm. we have about ourselves, about right. each other, about race, about gender, mm -hmm. about all of it, like just... If 
the more we can hear each other's stories, the more honest we can be exactly. with ourselves. And I, and I think that that's the, the path, the way forward to a more unified women's movement, which is a movement that has um, just been, been plagued by yeah. also a lot of bullshit. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so that's, um, so thank you. Thank you. So uh, we are going to talk about what made our feminist hearts sing lately. So what made my feminist heart sing was that the governor of Tennessee granted clemency for um, Santonia Brown. That was totally one of mine. Oh, okay. no. No, no, go for it. Go for it. No, no. Well, here, we can do it together. Let's let's talk about this. Okay. Yes. Well, this will be a co, a co one. So she'll be, um, just a little bit of background in, in case folks have not followed the, the, her story. She'll be released in August. Um, she was convicted in 2006 for murdering a man who essentially was keeping her captive and um, and prostituting her and abusing her and she was sentenced to life in prison as a 16 year old and is now I believe 30 30 so um, so you know half her life in prison um, Starting in about 2011, there has been sort of a slow burn push for her release. Mm -hmm. There was a documentary made about her case, Mm -hmm. and it was um, just a few years ago elevated by the efforts of stars like Rihanna and also by Kim Kardashian, who I'm... I'm going to be petty and not refer to her as a star. Um, <laughs> but she does have a huge megaphone, and I appreciate that she used it to right. call attention yes. to yeah. um, Santonia's case. So um, so she has been granted clemency. She'll be released in August and remain on parole for 10 years. She's participating in an extensive transition and reentry program, mm-hmm. which part of me is like... Oh, dude, just, do you, are you, like, she's been in prison for 15 years. Yeah. We're really going to keep her there for another seven months? But then, at the same time, um, if you go to prison when you're 16 and, right. like, really never expect right. to, to leave, then I, I, mean, I hope that she feels like this will bring her mm-hmm. some stability and confidence. And if she, I mean, I'm totally projecting on, <laughs> on her, which I have right. no right to do, but um, if she's feeling any anxiety about that transition, mm-hmm. I hope that this alleviates it. Yeah. Um, so again, totally projecting. Yeah, and I, what I, you know, I think we're all at this point maybe a lot more familiar with that documentary and our story and everything like that. And I remember like when it first happened, it wasn't like that big of a of an event, mm-hmm. and I remember the only reason I knew of it was I think I randomly saw it on like a, a Yahoo News story or something like that. Like back in two thousand six. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, which shows you like how it'll be in Yahoo. But anyway, <laughs> so and and I remember part of the report that they had, and I think they showed in the documentary as well. Like even though she was sixteen, she had they were saying that she had the mental capability and understandings and processing of a twelve year old. So they were already you know saying that she was underdeveloped and whatnot. And it, and then you know give her that life sentence on top of it. But what's been remarkable is that you know during her time in prison, she has earned her GED. She's close to finishing her bachelor's degree. Um, so she is showing these uh, proactive and um, progressive steps um, to show that, you know, as she goes through this rehabilitation process that come August, you know, she will, I hopefully, hopefully feel that she will be ready to enter. But like you said, it's been half her life yeah. and during very formative years, you know, 16 to 30, you know, that's when you start to shape and define who you are as a person, yeah. right? So um, I feel that when she is released, there will be a lot of 
welcoming arms hope for her, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that she continues to, to thrive. But that is, that did make my heart sink. Um, I know. <laughs> Me too. I'm very happy that it, that it went that way. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really powerful example, too, of what can happen if we care mm-hmm. and, and connect and try and speak truth to power. Because, yes. it, you know, he, I can't, I should have written his name down. Um, the governor of Tennessee did not, yeah, <laughs> did yeah. not have to do that. Right. And I do think that it was both an evolved understanding of the way that gender dynamics and abuse play out and, yes. and uh, also the fact that the world was really watching. Yes. That had a huge amount to do with it. So, so yay. Um, so please share it. Please share your uh, next example. Um, my my example, as as we all have have seen, um, and I'm going to say her name incorrectly, but when Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, mm-hmm. I think that's right. I hope that's correct. OAC. AOC. There you go. Sorry, I got. I that's the second dyslexia moment I've had since you've been here. <laughs> I, I apologize. Um, my happy moment was her uh, when the the scandalous video resurfaced of her dancing. Oh, oh, I'm clutching my <laughs> pearls. And that was such a happy moment for me because it was such a, a silly attempt um, from a party to undermine her. And the response and the comeback was just so beautiful, you know? And, and then I think about, like, how, like, ingrained that, that thinking is, like, what a woman, a quote-unquote respectable woman should look like that she can't even be free with her hair down and dancing in her youth in, in, at a great school at Boston University, right? Um, that that moment is still used as an attempt to sensationalize and, and make her this harlot. But the response that came so quickly after, thanks to technology, um, was in my heart really sink because I don't think I saw anyone, not that I have anyone on my social media that would agree, but like <laughs> I don't see many people that actually agreed with that thought that it was a bad thing for her to be dancing. Um, and that made me happy. I really actually was kind of shocked that they even went there with that. It's like, <laughs> dude, have you seen Footloose? Like, are you really, are you really yeah, going to be... The, like, grumpy old man who's like, ladies should stay at home and play the piano on Saturday night. I mean, like, it's college, man. What right, and it's, like, and it's not like a dance that would be, and not that any dance should be condemned, but, like, it, it was, she was fully clothed, she wasn't being overly sexual, or if that's even a thing. You know, it, it was just her imitating a classic moment mm-hmm. from breakfast club so it was yeah that was bizarre and <laughs> and kind of sad and i agree that the response was was pretty much just like yeah no no like, no that's not gonna fly <laughs> this next is, no sorry yeah thank you next <laughs> yeah all of the above um well so this next thing is i'm gonna try not to be too long-winded about this but okay so I was flipping through Twitter, as mm-hmm. one does, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I came across the announcement of something called hashtag dudes chats, huh. um, which is the first, the first one is happening at the end of the month. And it is um, essentially an invitation for men to talk about how they can be 
active in ending violence against women. Okay, okay. So I'm breaking my own rules here a little bit because <laughs> I tend to stay very focused on the work of women and female-identified people right. on the show. But um, I do have to just say that, like, I went down a little bit of... I was like, hmm, okay, what, what's this? And mm -hmm. um, it is... Uh, oh, it's hosted by an organization called Breakthrough USA, which uses media, technology, and strategic leadership as mechanisms for acting to end gender-based violence. And it okay. is actually a woman-run... Or, excuse me, woman-run... Um, and largely woman-staffed organization, although they do have male employees. Mm -hmm. But they have really... Um, they also host a New York comedy show, which I think has been going on for a while. This is not the first one, called Dudes Against Violence Against Women. <laughs> and so the, no sexist jokes allowed. These are, these are pretty well-known comedians. And... Okay. Um, it's and and you know they're using essentially using a very engaging art form mm -hmm. to coalesce people and encourage uh, men and encourage them to be better allies, which I which I really yeah. love. Um, and again, I mean, I could be projecting here about. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm always. I could just stop saying that. That's just like <laughs> it's my show. I can project if I want to. <laughs> so, dudes, chat. So, I. Um, I think part of the... So I did go down a little bit of rabbit hole here, and they, um, you know, whenever you look on Twitter, it's like all these other organizations pop up, like, you might be interested in this or right, that. Yeah, and there yeah, were, yeah, yeah. I, I was really struck by how many organizations there actually are that are focused on, like, um, men, men addressing men regarding toxic masculinity and men mm -hmm. speaking out against violence against women or, yeah. you know, men trying to kind of challenge the patriarchy in one way or another. And I, I did, it kind of, I just don't, this is not my field or my area. Mm -hmm. So I don't know a lot about it. And I, so I guess it kind of surprised me and it did give me this feeling of like, wow, there are men out there who care and not mm -hmm. just because they feel like they have to. And I know that the number is small, too small, and mm -hmm. very small in relationship with the, amount, the number of women and, orga you know, organizations right. um, that are women-driven that are doing this work. And I'm positive that a lot of them probably have a lot of internalized misogyny that they have mm -hmm. not dealt with, because we all do. I mean, I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, but for a minute, I, it just, I allowed myself to feel really good about it. And, like, it gave me a sense of happiness for my sisters who are out there, like, crawling up the mountain on their hands and knees like day in and day out yeah. like maybe one day they don't have to carry this entire burden by themselves right. and like white people have to step up and <laughs> to fix racism I mean we just do and men have to step up in the fight against misogyny and yes right. white allies are often uh, super problematic and we have to hold our male allies to high standards Mm -hmm. too, so we aren't reproducing the oppression that we claim to fight. But I, I believe it is possible, and it is necessary, because we can't do it alone. I mean, right. it's just it's too much. And so that made my feminist heart sing and feel just a little lighter, like, okay, someone is taking up, like, one pebble's worth of the right. burden. You know, right. like, just, yeah. and it just, I was like, oh, like, just for a <laughs> minute, I was like, okay, thank you. Yeah, it's that initiative, it's showing that, you know, there is that hope that is on the horizon. Yes. Especially when you do still see these high numbers and reports of abuse that happen and sexual assault and rape. And, you know, it, it can be very triggering for a lot of people to and almost be very, um, like, you're in this despair. Mm -hmm. um, so when you do see these kind of organizations that you mentioned, um, I know on my 
on my campus, there's um, something called um, Masculinity Mondays. Oh, what's that? And it's uh, where the students are welcome to come together. Um, you know, they, they reaching out towards men, particularly men of color, um, to come together and sit and discuss how misogyny or these kind of like harmful toxic um, aspects may be in their life. So each mm. um, meeting will have a different theme. So like one meeting may be like about music, one may be about movies, maybe one about health, you know, all these sorts of things. Um, and, and there's a focus to not only address the, the dynamics that come in, in gender violence, but mm -hmm. also when it comes to um, sexuality and queer culture as well. And how, you know, this, this very, you know, hey bro kind of culture, how, how that can be damaging um, or how it is damaging. Yeah. Um, and so those issues are addressed. And um, it's, it's really, you know, focused on men. I was, you know, lucky enough to sit in on one session um, I don't know how I got in, but I got to sit on one thing, um, and, and just see how it happened. And I was just like, this is, this is really great. So there are pockets where this is you know, happening, and I'm hoping those pockets start to spread and expand more where it can reach you know, um, larger populations. Well, good on you, Claremont. Yeah. Masculinity <laughs> Monday. I like it. Maybe they'll do dudes chatter. There, there, unfortunately, there's also hashtag dude, hashtag dude chat, which is not, not the, same the same thing. Oh. No, no. Because I was like, oh, okay. Like I started looking at that and I was like, wait a minute. This is oh, that's, that can be dangerous. It sounds oh, so similar. That's the opposite of what yeah. I want dudes chat to be. Yeah. Um, well, back, pivoting back to the ladies for just a moment. Yes. I just have one really short thing to say. And I, do, I don't want to dwell on the R. Kelly thing because I don't, uh. I don't think that I'm, first of all, the right person to comment on that. But the, doc, the Surviving R. Kelly documentary series mm -hmm. just ended. And um, watched some of it. I'm going to watch all of it eventually. But, and I know a lot of people have already seen it. So, um, but I was very in, heartened to... And heartened? Is that a word? Heart, heart, heartened? I was like, heartened. That's right. Heartened. Heartened. No N. I don't know. I don't know. I could I be... Just, I, I know. Again, it's my <laughs> podcast. I can make up words. Um, uh, to find out that there is a viewer's guide for that series. So if you haven't watched it, and you were mentioning how the fact that sexual assault is so much... We're talking about it so much more now, mm -hmm. which is you know a good thing, but can also be extremely painful for mm -hmm. folks who have experienced that. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a viewer's guide. It was created by an organization called Girls for Gender Equity, which is uh, focused on training and empowering young people to name what has happened to them, um, and is very youth-driven, which I think is cool. Um, so I will link it in the blog post for this episode because I really love the idea that there is a resource that is out there to kind of help it, just sort of interpret and, and guide viewing of something that I mm -hmm. think is important but incredibly hard to, right. to watch for a lot of people. And especially because there's still so much anger around it and a lot of, um, a lot of messaging that, again, could just really perpetuate a lot of pain, I think, for, for folks who um, can relate to that story. Yeah, definitely. Um, as, as, you, as you may or may not have seen in one of my recent 
Day and Adventures the Mad Dog episodes. Um, <laughs> I, I was recently on a date with someone who asked me, um, you know, can you separate an artist, you know, from their music and their actions? And I knew he was driving towards like R. Kelly mm-hmm. and, you know, we see like Bill Cosby and all sorts, sorts of things happen. I was waiting for him to say Michael Joseph Jackson. Thankfully he did not. <laughs> Hopefully he knew, knew got, got a sense of you well enough to know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, I have not seen the series. Um, I've heard about it. And I've seen people on my social media talk about it as well. Um, but it is one of those issues that, especially in the black community, continues to be hushed and, and brushed aside. Um, because of this attitude of like, oh, that was like a long time ago. Oh, you know, we all fall short. Oh, you know, we have to forgive. Um, and it's just that reminder that women continue to bear this emotional labor and this, this pain for the sake of their people, you know? You know, we already have so many oppressions against us, you know, don't bring up this, this sexual assault and rape thing, mm-hmm. um, especially on a subject that can be for some people controversial, but for the victim and the rest of humanity, um, it's not, it's clear cut. So yeah, it's definitely an issue um, that is still very hot um, and will hopefully stay hot until we we see better resolutions. Yeah, so if you're planning on watching it, check out the guide, because I think think it can help with a a lot of that tension that we're talking about. Is there any, any other feminist heart moments you want to talk about? Whenever I come back into town, I volunteer with the um, the reproductive health clinic. Here. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, essentially, I just help escort patients in and out the facility. And um, a lot of times, when I started volunteering years ago, I would see patients come by themselves or have someone drop them off and whatnot. And sometimes they have like a a friend with them or whatnot. But the friend was kind of like you know hesitant to be acknowledged or not really wanting to be there. Um, and recently, um, I volunteered, and I don't know if it's it's me stepping away and coming back and seeing a shift that I didn't notice before or not, but I, I realized how many of the young women that were coming um, and the friends that were supporting them were very present and very, like, supportive and very, like, yeah, like this is this is the time for us to speak and take control of our bodies. And that is something in a mindset I hadn't seen before. Mm. So that really made me happy to witness that in areas that the rest of the country says is backwards in the dark ages, i.e. the South, um, that's not the case at all. That's mm. great. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it has to do with the powerhouse having been there for several years now. Yes, the powerhouse is phenomenal um, in that aspect, and everyone who is involved with it, their persistence and diligence and not giving up um, is, is really the key. Montgomery and, and other places in Alabama can, can be a place where you may want to start something great, but because you don't have that support that you need, you give up quickly. Um, but Powerhouse and all the people there, there have been diligent and have been working so tirelessly, and it, it makes my heart swell just to know that I am slightly even like associated with them, the little yeah. work that I do there. Yeah. So for folks outside of Montgomery who don't know, the Powerhouse oh, sure. is a, um, a built, like it's literally a house right next to the Reproductive Health Clinic, which in this town is relentlessly targeted by anti-abortion 
activists, I think they would consider themselves, but I consider them harassers. Half-time, pretty much, yeah. They're, um, they stand outside with like megaphones. They are extremely um, invasive. They're extremely yes. cruel. They're extremely racist. Yes. And I, um, they, you know, it's just a very, very hard place to access without encountering someone who is just going to hurl verbal abuse at you. And, you know, certainly not unique to Montgomery, but, but ex- you know, I would say it's pretty bad here. Um, and yeah. the powerhouse offers, it's basically like this very intersectional, queer-friendly, woman-friendly, everyone, you know, friendly except for the antis, um, place with, like, these giant rainbow flags <laughs> and big, you know, like, women power, black power, Black Lives Matter, like, just signs everywhere. And it is, uh, they organize all of the um, escorts Mm-hmm. Uh, labor, free the volunteer labor that um, helps helps the folks who are accessing the clinic get in there safely and hopefully with the least amount of harassment possible. So, and they also help generate funds if somebody comes into town and they don't have enough money to pay for their abortion. If they are in need of childcare, often they'll step in and help with that. So it really is this very sort of holistic. Mm-hmm. We'll 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 do whatever it takes to kind of help out mm-hmm. the women who are accessing this clinic plays and yeah the woman who runs it is a total badass and <laughs> definitely want to get her on the show thank you for reminding me oh, about her no, my pleasure that, yeah yes yeah. that's, that's great um all right my very last thing is um at, coming out of your state of california <gasps> oh, dear. which just elect or not elect i mean recently elected and just inaugurated a new governor, governor. yeah um and so I'm maybe pronouncing her, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce her name correctly, but Seabill Newsom, Seabill Newsom, um, who is sure. the, um, who is married to Gavin, Gavin. Newsom, uh-huh. um, has chosen the title first partner instead of first lady. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was cool. So Newsom's husband, Gavin, was, as I just said, was recently sworn in as the governor of California. Um, and she is herself Seabill I hope I'm saying Siebel. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm okay, sorry. Report, report back if you hear <laughs> the correct pronunciation, please. I'll try to go in and like edit myself. Uh, she is herself well known for directing the 2011 documentary Misrepresentation, which critiqued portrayals of women in mainstream media. Hello. <laughs> and followed it up with The Mask You Live In, which is all about masculinity. There you go. As we were just discussing. So, um, she also runs the nonprofit uh, representation pro- project, so she is a total badass in her own right. And it's a small thing, the choice to you know to say first partner instead of first lady. But great to know that the person holding that title, a cares about representation, mm-hmm. and b is doing her part to change the dialogue around gender from a place of power and visibility. There you go. So rock on, lady. Rock yeah. on, first partner. Yeah, hey. definitely. Good for you. We're going to talk about the Hot Dog Hall of Fame, and you already sent your picture in, and I resisted the urge to Google <laughs> her name because I I want to hear I want to hear about her. I want to hear why she yeah. inspires you. So, um, so the the person that I chose is Polly Polly Murray. Sorry, R is a trot, hard for me to say. Um, and I only recently, to be honest, recently came across um, Murray from a professor of mine who knew someone who is writing the, who wrote the autobiography back in 2017. Um, and I was just like, let me, you know, 
put her on my list of, of people to find out about. So I'm still doing my own research, but um, I, I really enjoy uh, learning about her, of what I have been learning so far. Um, so she, I have my little notes here, so I don't forget. But um, born in uh, Maryland, but raised in Durham, North Carolina, so, you know, in the South. Born in 1910, um, so, you know, not exactly the best... <laughs> time to be black in America. Um, but, uh, she definitely, um, she was pretty, pretty kick-ass. She went to college um, despite being told, being turned away from different schools in North Carolina because she was a black woman, because she was black. And it's like, she wrote these petitions to, to different presidents to try to get into school. They kept saying no. She finally ended up going to Hunter College and um, got her degree in English in 33, um, and Hunter College being in New York. And um, she was an early activist. She would sit in white section only, white only sections, um, get arrested. She would give like names like Oliver (laughs) (laughs) for when she got arrested, which at first I just kind of chuckled at. But then as I kept reading on, I realized that was part of her battle with her gender identity. Oh, so, so it was more than just like being cheeky. Right, yes. Yeah. So many times, I mean, she acknowledged that people were homosexual and all these sorts of things. She didn't apply that to herself, but she often, and it's quoted as her saying, she felt she was a, quote, inverted sex instinct, unquote. Oh, that's so, such an interesting phrase. Yeah, so in many ways, she would behave and act in ways that she felt were more masculine. Mm. So there are some um, academics and scholars now who think that she may have been transgender, mm. but just didn't mm. know that kind of like terminology or whatnot. Um, but that's how she was in her everyday life. Hence why she um, made her name Polly. Her, her birth name was like Anna Pauline, I believe, or something like that. Okay. So then she just shortened that to Polly to be a little more in, androgynous. Yeah. That's the word. <laughs> so, um, or you so, can just make up another word like I do. <laughs> <laughs> There's that too. So yeah, so she goes to get her bachelor's degree in Hunter College. Um, she goes to Howard and she's involved in the social, uh, Socialist Workers Defense League to try to make sure that people have fair wages and whatnot. Um, and it was during her time in Howard she encountered or coined the phrase uh, Jane Crow. We were familiar oh, with Jim Crow, right? Yeah. So now we see this double oppression that she has not only being black and suffering Jim Crow laws being, a, being seen as a woman and then having those kind of biases. Mm-hmm. So she graduated from Harvard, I'm sorry, Howard, she tried to do postgraduate study at uh, Harvard, and they're like, first, you're black. And second, you're a woman. Like, no. Um, she goes, she moves across the country to Berkeley and starts studying there. Um, she gets her master's in law from there. Um, oh, I go back to my notes again. Um, she's one of the f- she was the first African-American to get a doctor of judicial science from Yale. Um, and she and uh, the famous RBG have a connection. So uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg um, actually chose her to co-author the Reed versus Reed case. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So, of course, that dealing with, you know, um, gender equality and whatnot. Um, So she's like, you know, a total, or they were a total, you know, badass, especially for their day. Um, And as someone that I, I never really heard about until like a few months ago 
And I'm excited to, to look more in, about her life and her influence because she definitely made an impact, but it's not a name that you hear every day. No, I, I had never heard of her. Yeah. Or them, yeah. Yeah. They also uh, wore her, their hair short mm-hmm. um, as well. That was kind of like the process of trying to figure out the whole gender expression thing. She was, or they were briefly married as a teenager, but very briefly because they felt that um, they didn't like the, the, the position of love they were being forced into, mm. right? And they had different, different like, you know, romantic affairs with women and whatnot through the years. Um, but again, she, they were always in this place of like trying to figure out who they were. So that was really prob- problematic for them. But they still, you know, trailblazed through all these, you know, wonderful accomplishments. So, yeah. I'll say. Yeah. Wow. Well, welcome, Polly, to the Hall yes. of Fame. What yes. a great story. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm, I'm excited to learn more about Polly. So. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, my um, Hall of Fame inductee, I think, fits, fits along those, those lines. Okay. And I chose her for two reasons. Um, her name is Bernice Bunny Sandler. She went by Bunny. And uh, she just passed away this week. Oh, wow. She was known as the mother of Title IX, so mm. I thought she was an appropriate person to honor yeah. on a sh- on the episode where we have you as a guest, a woman of a woman of letters and a, with a skyrocketing academic career. So Thank she you. certainly had a um, a hand in, in being able to open th- those doors for a lot of, of a lot of us. So so even as a very young child, she Bunny had a strong sense of gender based injustice and. She noticed, for example, that the boys were getting the most important jobs in her in the classroom, um, and had more access to like different activities on the schoolyard and things like yeah. that, and felt like that that was really unfair. Um, so she kind of carried that with her even even from when she was a kid. And fast forward to 1969, um, and Sandler was teaching part time at the University of Maryland and applying for and getting passed over promotions like again and again mm-hmm. and again. Mm-hmm. And when she inquired as to why, she was told that she came off too strong as a mm. woman. That it was just yeah. straight up like, yeah, no, you're, mm. you're too much. Uh, she said that prior to that, she'd been somewhat ambivalent about the women's movement, but her experience woke her up because she had assumed that such, a, such discrimination was illegal. And mm. no, no, uh, mm. not at all. So she began researching the law related to discrimination based on race, color, religion, and national origin, and also the strategies of black civil rights activists hoping to be able to apply them mm-hmm. uh, to the women's, uh, women's rights in academia. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to quote the NPR story on her as reported by um, KPBS. Mm-hmm. They said, um, finally, she found a small opening she could use to pry open U.S. discrimination laws. It was just one small part of a U.S. Commission on Civil Rights report. The report was about a presidential executive order barring federal contractors from discriminating on the basis of race, color, religion, and national origin. There was a footnote, and being an academic, she says, I quickly turned to the back of the report to read it. Um, The footnote said that in 1968, President Lyndon B. Johnson had amended executive order uh, 11246 to include discrimination based on sex. Hmm. And because most universities and colleges had federal contracts, the order applied to them, Hmm. in her mind. 
Um, Sandler said she shrieked when she made the discovery, <laughs> which I just love. So, um, okay, this is back to me now. So she became the first woman to file a complaint with the Department of Labor's Office of Federal Contract Compliance. Hmm. And the director of that office apparently had been waiting for someone to use this executive order. So oh. when um, she kind of showed up with her complaint, he and it was a man, and he was like, ah, hell yes, let's do this. <laughs> and um, she went on to help the Women's Equality Action League get in the game with a national push um, and in essentially to grow this effort. And in 1970, filed a class action complaint against every college and university in the country. Wow. Which is just... <laughs> bonkers to me um, and boggles my mind. So right. this got the ball rolling, uh, to say the least, and for more interest and action at the congressional level and brought the issue to the attention of um, the congressional committee that deals with higher education. And the records of that committee hearing, um, of those, excuse me, those committee hearings in which Chandler was deeply involved, right? They that became the basis for Title IX. Wow. So um, I'm, I'm quoting again here. Uh, signed by President Nixon, the law known as Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972 has charted the evolution of sex equality in America. Initially intended to shatter gender quotas for hiring and admissions, it became a vital weapon against limits on opportunities for women and girls. Mm -hmm. Bracket here, particularly I think when it comes to sports is when you often hear a mm -hmm. lot about Title IX. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, back to the quote. Under the law, schools and other organizations are barred from discriminating in a wide range of areas from recruiting and admissions to financial aid and employment. This legislation covers sexual harassment on campus, how pregnant students or those with children are treated, and even bars potential employers from asking about a job applicant's marital status. Mm -hmm. um, so Bernice went on, Bernice Sandler went on to work in this field for years and years and years, and she uh, held top positions at the Association for American Colleges and the Women's Research and Education Institute, and in 2013, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. Nice. Yeah. So, um, Bernice Bunny Sandler, um, rest in peace, and welcome to the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. It's awesome. Yeah. Yes. It's so interesting, because whenever I hear Title IX in my, my uh, class last semester, we had a good two weeks talking about this. Um, it's 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 automatically associated with sexual harassment cases on mm. cancer, campus. And because the wording of it, when you first read Title IX, it seems so very broad and vague. Um, different institutions apply it in so many different ways. Interpret it differently. Yeah, yeah, interpret it differently. Um, and yeah, it's, you forget that it, it, all these other root causes that it, it's from. It's not just dealing with sexual assault cases, but yeah. everything that comes with gender and sex discrimination. All of it. Yeah. All of it. Nice. I, I, think it's a, I think that's a, such an interesting story, and I, I kind of like how it, it overlapped with yours. That was yeah, cool. Yeah, nice. Worked. Teamwork. Teamwork. <laughs> Thank you I for sharing that. Unintentional that teamwork. <laughs> I love it. We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> That feminist wave. Uh, okay, the feminist, catch, catch the feminist wave. You're <laughs> on feminist hot dog. Um, well, that seems like a perfect place to conclude our okay. wonderful conversation, which I have enjoyed so yeah, much. Yeah, me too. Thank, Thank you so much you. for inviting me. Oh, I've enjoyed this. Totally my pleasure. You'll have to come back. We'll have to have installments from the, <laughs> so we can get updates on the Mad Dog uh, 
<laughs> Mad Dog Adventures and yes. all things California. Yay. Um, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Our theme music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Love yourself. Love your buns. Goodbye.